I realized I had trouble pronouncing a lot of words, but especially the name of this one Icelandic hot dog stand. Unlike Ulysses S. Grant and William Tecumseh Sherman, Lincoln did not live to write his memoirs. This is hard. This is legitimately hard. I am someone who does not mind talking all the time. I talk a lot, my wife will certainly tell you. But this took a lot of doing. Welcome to This is the Author, where authors talk about narrating their audiobooks. In this episode, meet New York Times bestselling author John Green, New York Times bestselling biographer Ronald C. White, and veteran journalist and author Daniel Barbarisi. Listen in to discover what it was like for these authors to voice their work out loud, even when that means capturing President Lincoln's unique vocal cadence. Plus, get the delightfully detailed lowdown on one very cozy home recording space. Enjoy! Hi, this is John Green, author of The Anthropocene Reviewed. I wrote this book because I felt like my life had become unbearably loud and like my attention had become fractured. I started writing it shortly after rereading the work of my friend and mentor, Amy Krauss Rosenthal, who died a couple years ago. And she once said that if you need to know what to do with your life, you need to pay attention to what you pay attention to. And I guess more than anything, this book is my attempt to pay attention to what I pay attention to. If I had to describe what it was like to record my audiobook in one word, that word would be fun terrifying. Is that a word? It was really wonderful to be able to read the audiobook. I'm a huge fan of audiobooks, and so the thought of getting to narrate one is really exciting. But also, I was reading the book at a time when I knew that the book is already in production and so I can't change anything. This is actually the first time I've ever read one of my books after I couldn't change anything, and so that part was a little terrifying. I realized I had trouble pronouncing a lot of words, but especially the name of this one Icelandic hot dog stand. I do not have a lot of familiarity with Icelandic as a language, so I am deeply grateful to Rick and John, who are producing this audiobook behind the scenes, for making that sound like I know what I'm saying. I'm excited that listeners will get to join me on this journey and hear it from my voice. This is by far my most personal book. It's my first attempt really in any kind of formal way to write about myself and my way of looking at the world. And so it really means a lot to me that it gets to be me saying the words. If I wasn't going to record my audiobook, I would cast, well, I have a little bit of an advantage when it comes to this question because I've been really, really fortunate in my career to work with some amazing, amazing audiobook narrators. So I don't want to pick favorites, but I guess since this book is written from my perspective, I would probably cast Will Wheaton who read the audiobook for my first novel, Looking for Alaska. And whenever I hear Will read, he always sounds like me to me. 
The last audiobook that I listened to that I loved was A Distant Mirror, The Calamitous 14th Century by Barbara Tuchman. It's a wonderful book about the Black Death, but also about these huge, multiple decade-long wars that were ravaging Europe in the 14th century. It's gut-wrenching in many places, but it's just such a wonderfully researched, wonderfully written book of history. And the narrator is really great as well. I mean, I can barely pronounce one Icelandic word. This narrator has to pronounce words from a dozen different languages and does so with complete calm. It's wonderful to listen to. I spent much of the last few months signing my name 250,000 times because I signed every copy of the first printing of the print version of this book. And so I had occasion to listen to lots of wonderful audiobooks, including my brother's book, A Beautifully Foolish Endeavor, which I read in print and then listened to in audio and thought the audiobook was just amazing. And also my wife's book, You Are an Artist, which I listened to on audio, narrated by her, which was really lovely. My favorite place to listen to audiobooks is definitely on a long, quiet walk. I love walking I love being in the woods, and I love the intimacy of an audiobook in those experiences. It really feels like you're just having this quiet, private conversation with somebody who's really, really smart. That's when audiobooks feel like both listening and reading to me, and that is just magical. And now, please listen to a clip from my audiobook, The Anthropocene Reviewed. It is May of 2020, and I do not have a brain well-suited to this. I find more and more that I refer to it as it and this, without naming or needing to name, because we are sharing the rare human experience so ubiquitous that the pronouns require no antecedent. Horror and suffering abound in every direction, and I want writing to be a break from it. But still, it makes its way in, like light through window blinds, like floodwater through shut doors. Hi, this is Ron White, author of Lincoln in Private. What his most personal reflections tell us about our greatest president. I've written a biography of Lincoln and two other books on Lincoln's great public speeches, the Gettysburg Address, the Second Inaugural Address, and others. One of the greatest challenges in writing a book about Lincoln was to somehow get into the private person. Unlike Ulysses S. Grant and William Tecumseh Sherman, he did not live to write his memoirs. He did not keep a diary. He had a habit of writing notes to himself, some of which in the spur of the moment he left unfinished in mid-sentence. He did not date, title, or sign these notes. 111 of these notes have survived. He never expected anyone to ever see them. Yet these notes provide a look at the private Lincoln that we do not see in the many biographies of the public Lincoln. If I had to describe in one word what it was like to record my audio book, the word would be enjoyable. 
I had to learn how to pronounce Cairo, Illinois. Many people not familiar with Illinois or the Civil War would pronounce it Cairo because it is spelled C-A-I-R-O like Cairo, Egypt. But the locals and Civil War buffs know it is Cairo. In doing this audio book, I needed to learn how to speak Lincoln's words at the cadence he spoke. You and I speak about 150 words per minute. He spoke slowly, only 110 words a minute. Why? We read books silently. He lived in a culture where people always read aloud. My dream narrator would be Peter Coyote, a product of the San Francisco counterculture. I love his work on the Ken Burns special on country music and on the recent one on Ernest Hemingway. He is magnificent. And now, listen to a clip from my audiobook. It was the spring of 1863, and President Abraham Lincoln faced a chorus of critics after two grueling years of civil war. While Union and Confederate forces fought, the northern public was becoming increasingly restless. If the North, with a larger army and greater industrial resources, had believed in 1861 they would win the war quickly, by 1863, what was becoming known as Mr. Lincoln's War struggled on with no end in sight. Hi, this is Daniel Barbarisi, author of Chasing the Thrill, Obsession, Death, and Glory in America's Most Extraordinary Treasure Hunt. I actually just finished recording the audiobook from here in my lovely walk-in closet in my bedroom here uh, outside Boston, where we've set up kind of a little private studio for me to do this. I've got little blankets hanging everywhere. I've got a very impressive microphone hanging over my face. I'm in a reasonably comfortable chair. I have a cup of tea that I have refilled, I don't know, 500 times during this. And it was kind of an amazing experience to do this. I wrote my book because I felt incredibly lucky to have happened upon this insane story of this guy who had buried a treasure chest out in the Southwest and all the insane stuff that came out from that. I honestly couldn't believe that when I happened upon it, that there wasn't a book about it already. I was like, if nobody else has done this, I have to get into this thing. I have to tell the story of it. This is unreal. So my thought was, get into this thing as deep as you can, get into it as fast as you can, and tell this story, because this is a story that needs to be told, and there is a responsibility to telling it. You know, fortunately, I had kind of a framework understanding of how to do that from having done my last book, Dueling with Kings, and I applied a lot of that structure and format to this one. So, you know, I had a basic idea of the methodology I wanted to use, and once I kind of was able to do that, it was just, all right, dive in and off to the races here. That's kind of what it was until, honestly, this moment. If I had to describe what it was like to record my audiobook in one word, that word would be... exhausting. This is hard. This is legitimately hard. I am someone who does not mind talking all the time. I talk a lot, my wife will certainly tell you. But this took a lot of doing. Reading anything for a number of days on end is actually very draining. And even though I actually really enjoyed the process, you know, I found myself at the end of every day, like, physically exhausted. I mean, you sit in the same chair in perfect posture and, you know, you're you're not exactly in a natural pose or in a natural place. And you're just talking. 
And it goes and goes. And I kept trying to take as many sips of water and tea as I could. But, you know, there's only so much that could do. So it seems that I have survived uh, four solid days of this. And my voice is somewhat intact, which I'm very excited about. But yeah, this took some doing, man. I'm not kidding. The word specifically, I realized I have a very hard time pronouncing that. It really took me a lot of work every time. And I apparently wrote specifically a lot. I kind of felt like, you know, very uh, thucker and thuckatash, like every time I would say it, and I had to really think about it beforehand and like, oh God, the word is coming up. I need to like anticipate this and get to it. So if I ever write another book, I am going to very specifically not use the word specifically. In one very specific chapter, haha, about where myself and my treasure hunting partner, Beep, go deep into Yellowstone and go out in search of the treasure, we have a bit of a, uh, a dust up at one point and... You know, I was actually kind of really in the moment reading it out here again, because these are all direct quotes, reading out here again really put me back into that moment. And I could feel myself like, you know, in the anger I felt, not at him really, but at the situation in the moment. And like, you know, I'm yelling at him in real life and I'm yelling at him in the book. And I could kind of feel myself transported back there in that moment. So Perfectly honestly, I felt very, you know, like this is my Oscar clip moment about that. I was I was pretty stoked about it. You know, afterwards I went downstairs and told my wife like, oh, I just totally nailed that scene. And she was like, yeah, you're really feeling yourself, aren't you? And I was like, yeah, I guess I am a little bit. So I was feeling a little good about that. I really like it. I hope you guys are excited to hear that part because I thought I did it really well. You guys are just hearing my voice and you probably don't know what I look like, but I have been told many, 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 many times that I look a lot like the actor Jason Biggs and like millions of years ago, back when, you know, he was really big in the American Pie days. I used to, like, get free drinks at bars and stuff with people being like, are you Jason Biggs? And, you know, this was, like, pre-smartphones. My friends half the time would be like, yeah, he totally is. And, you know, people couldn't check stuff back then. So there was, like, a lot of silliness around that. So I feel like if anyone's ever going to play me in anything, spoken or, you know, TV or whatever, it has to be Jason Biggs. So I don't even know if he really sounds like me, but I think it's probably close enough. So he's my guy. I'm sticking with it. Let's move on. I do listen to audiobooks, and actually the podcaster Dan Carlin, who's a history podcaster, he's not a historian, as he'll tell you, but I actually very recently just listened to his audiobook, which I believe is called The End is Always Near, about how basically like human civilization is always on the edge of disaster, and I thought it was great. And, you know, he has a real way of bringing you into the moment and making history feel real and alive and relevant, and so I super support that. Certainly my favorite place to listen is outside bicycling. So that's actually great for that kind of stuff. Just get on a bike ride, kind of go, you know, you're getting your exercise in, you're seeing the pretty world around you, and someone is making you smarter or entertained in your ears. So big win. Now listen to a clip from my audiobook. Forrest Fenn had it all. The Santa Fe art dealer had crafted the perfect life. After spending nearly two decades in the Air Force and emerging from Vietnam, a decorated fighter pilot, the restless Texas boy in him had yearned for something new. So, largely on a whim, Fenn had hitched a trailer behind his truck, hauled his wife and his young daughters, Zoe and Kelly, off to New Mexico, and struck out on a new career as a dealer of art and antiquities, despite knowing little about either subject. But he had charm, and he had flair, and he wasn't afraid of hard work. So by the 1980s, Fenn had established himself as one of the Southwest's preeminent art dealers, and a true man about town in the rarefied, moneyed world of Santa Fe. This is the Author is a production of Penguin Random House Audio. Thank you for listening. For more behind-the-mic content and audiobook recommendations, 
visit www.penguinrandomhouseaudio.com slash next listen.